Welcome everyone to the men's show. I am here with five other incredible guys and we are going to be having conversations that matter. Um, and we're going to just be guys and we're going to pursue the Lord together. But for now, let's roll that intro. So you can support all the programs and all the shows here at Awaken Catholic. Join the Awaken Nation. Go to awakencatholic.org. You can make a one-time or a monthly donation, and that helps everything that you see here possible. So if you like what you see, that's where you can support us. Another way you can support us is by downloading the Hallow app through the Awaken Catholic website. It's a free prayer app and it's awesome. My wife uses it every night. I know lots of people who say it just added so much peace to their day and it's a free app, but there's also a premium version. You can get a free month by going to our website and accessing the app through there. You can also go to hallow.app slash awaken. Oh, Mr. Tenney, you are so good with words. Thank you for sharing those inspirational, inspirational messages with us. Um, so we are here, we're a bunch of dudes that just kind of, we don't have all the answers. We don't have everything figured out, but we know that we love Jesus and all we want each of us is to pursue the Lord, uh, the best we can, according to, um, the church and the church that Christ instituted. And, uh, we, we don't have everything figured out. We're not perfect, but we are just trying. And each of us kind of comes from a different area of passion and expertise. One of us is a priest. I'm not going to spoil it and tell you which one. Okay. There he is. <laughs> but why don't we just begin, um, by going around and introducing ourselves. Uh, so my name is Nick Delatore. I'm the president of Awakened Catholic. Um, and I am just uh, super stoked to be finally doing this. So where do I look when I'm speaking? Uh, you could look right into that camera. Okay, great. Uh, my name is Peter Angel. I'm the director of the Office for Life and Justice of Catholic Charities in the Diocese of Toledo. But most important, I'm a husband and father of three kids. My name is Mike Tenney. I'm the guy from out of town. I'm from Washington, D.C., and I am a Catholic speaker and worship leader and father, husband, um, MikeTenneyMusic.com if you want to know more. Yeah, John Mark Grodi. Uh, I'm married, uh, father of five kids. I'm the chief operating officer at the Coming Home Network. International. I'm the host of Elevate Ordinary along with my wife here on Awaken Catholic and just happy to be part of this men's night. I'm Father Jeff Walker. I'm a priest for the Diocese of Toledo and currently the pastor of St. Thomas More University Parish at the campus of Bowling Green State University. And I'm Rob Holler. I'm a business manager for a parish in Parishburg, Ohio, St. Rose. I'm a realtor. I'm a husband and a father of a two year old. And I probably, uh, do not belong here with you. <laughs> you belong. Awesome. Thank you, gentlemen. And thank you for your yes to being here. Um, you know, one of the tenets of what we're trying to do is, is have challenging conversations about challenging topics. And, you know, by virtue of that, understandably, there was some reservation. There was some fear of like being exposed and, and talking about some of these difficult things that generally our society is like, no, do not touch those topics. You know, some of the topics uh, there is just a very real dynamic of the fact that we are men. Um, but we also like, we are men who love our women. We, we love our wives. We build up our wives. We edify. We do have all, like all, of us have, all of us have multiple wives. Yes. <laughs> we love our specific. Some of us don't have any. <laughs> Bride the church. That's yeah. right. <laughs> We're already in trouble. So we are in trouble. This is exactly what everyone's afraid of. Trouble. <laughs> <laughs> It's been very quiet so far. <laughs> so, so we're going to begin. Um, we're going to try to cover a separate topic for each episode. We're going to begin with just a very simple question. If you know, if this is the men's show. What does it mean to be a man? Um, obviously, uh, for us as men, each of us kind of identify greatly with our individual vocations. And so for most of us, we're husbands first. Um, Father, you are a priest first and foremost. But like, what does it really mean to be a man um, in, in a world that is trying to um, in a world in which it is harder to identify like a positive version of masculinity, uh, or a world in which it's, it's getting more complicated to be proud of being a man because of the ways in which, uh, ideas are being posited right now. So I just, I want to throw it out there 
And any, if anyone has any initial, John Mark's like, as soon as I ask the question, he's like dying to. So I also want to highlight John Mark dying, is, is <laughs> John Mark is a philosopher and he cares a lot about words and understandably he's right. Like what a word means, what the word is means has implications on a question and on the definition of something. So I know that Pete has something he wants to share. Um, why don't we begin with John Mark? He's going to maybe bring some clarity about the question and then we can move to Pete after that. I don't have any clarity to bring here, Nick. I have only distinctions and more murkiness. <laughs> like where, and that's like one of those questions. It's like, where would you want to go with that? You want to talk biologically? You want to talk psychologically? You want to talk about in terms of uh, human nature that what God made us? Do you want to talk about it in terms of the ideal that we believe as Catholics that we're called to? There's a million ways you can go with that. So you got to start by um, determining which direction you want to talk about first. You know, um, you brought up the way that uh, masculinity is often talked about or seen in the modern world. And we're usually looking at, you know, epiphenomenal surface level things uh, and arguing about about those, um, you know, what men should or shouldn't do, do or don't do. Um, a lot of labels are applied toxic this, toxic that, you know. Um, we as Catholics, you know, in particular, we, we start from, you know, um, uh, natural law, human nature that we were we were created, and we were created as men and women uh, for a purpose. You know, we were created to image God in a certain way. And there's something about us being men and uh, humans being men and women that images God in a very particular way. Um, there's a, little, a lot of overlap between men and women. You know, that, that kind of gets lost in these, these debates. It's either men are just like women or they're, or they're completely different. No, there's a lot of overlap psychologically, bi biologically, at all levels. Certainly a lot of overlap in terms of what we're called to. We're called to be holy. We're called to be saints. But there are specific uh, qualities uh, of masculinity that God gave to us, that uh, specific purposes that we have beyond the obvious biological ones. So... Now, listen, I have a clarification. We were supposed to take a drink every time someone says epiphenomenal. <laughs> was that the yeah, word? That is the oh, drinking game. Epiphenomenal. Yeah. Right. Right. Uh, yeah. If you course. want to join in at home, take a drink anytime John Mark says epiphenomenal. Crap. I'm going to do that. That is the only drink you will be taking. <laughs> right. Uh, that, I like what you had to say about um, how there's a lot of overlap and it's not necessarily exclusive. Like I think of a Venn diagram yeah. with a lot of overlap mm -hmm. in the middle, because if we talk about, you know, kind of in stereotypes, women are more emotional or men are more aggressive. Like I know women that are more aggressive than me and I'm more emotional than some women. Yeah, yeah. But so, and I, I think it's important to distinguish that, you're talking in stereotypes and that doesn't mean that any individual that doesn't fall into that is like bad in that when we're talking about what is manly or, or masculine or feminine, that a lot of times we're, we're talking descriptively, mm -hmm. not prescriptively. Mm -hmm. We're oh, talking in a way that is, this is what we often observe with men not mm -hmm. you are a bad man unless you fit this mm -hmm. and women cannot be like this, which is a lot of times what people hear. And so when I think about it, when I talk with people about that, that's a distinction I make in my own mind. Yeah. That's so huge. I love that. And we cast it in terms of like of virtues, like, like good qualities about someone. Again, those are going to look, those are not masculine or feminine qualities. They look differently as uh, for men and women. I mean, mm -hmm. there are great women leaders who lead well. That looks different for a man to lead as for a woman to lead. Courage looks different uh, when, as a, in the context of a, of a woman versus a man. But those are qualities we all share, we all strive to. You know, but there's a particular way that, um, that looks as a man. I don't know. Pete, what were you going to throw in there? Yeah, I was just going to say, but we also believe that men and women are distinct, right? And they're complementary, so we don't we don't lose that either. Mm -hmm. Although there's an overlap there, there is a distinction mm -hmm. between the two. And I know that you guys aren't saying that, but um, it, when you ask the question, I mean, what came to my mind is, one, we should just read from the catechism uh, rather than discuss it, but I guess that's the point of the show. So, um, But the, the idea or the answer that came to my mind was, um, to look at the first man that was created through divine revelation, to look at Adam, and then the man, Jesus Christ, who um, is emblematic of what man should be. Um, so, so man, by his very nature, or her very nature, is son or daughter, because each and every one of us comes from two parents, a mom and a dad. 
And so immediately man is uh, connected to another. So man is never alone because man has to come from some, some place. So, so man is son. And then from the, the new Adam, Christ, man is disciple because God comes to earth and he says, follow me. So man, again, is not alone. He's called to follow the master. He's called to follow God. Um, and then lastly, man is given a mission. So first man, Adam, was given the mission to till and to guard. Um, so you could say you could say warrior, you could say priest, because I think the Hebrew word that was used in Genesis is the same word that was given to Adam, is the same word to give the priest when they're talking about carrying mm. the temple. Um, so man is son, disciple, and then warrior or priest. He has something to do, and that doing is the sanctification. It's, it's, it's getting to heaven. Um, so I think those three categories have helped me understand, appreciate my own life. Like I'm called to be son, just to receive the love of my parents, and in particular the love of the Father. I'm called to be disciple, called to follow Jesus wherever he goes, and then warrior. I've got a job to do, mm -hmm. and that's to sanctify, to bring my family home to heaven, and to sanctify this world as well. Mm -hmm. And what stands out to me about that is there are elements of what it is to be a man, what it is to be a woman that are divinely instituted, that were put there by God as, as he designed us. And then there are parts in our society, um, in all world societies over history, there are parts of what it is to be a man, what it is to be a woman that are kind of um, evolved organically that are not explicitly from God. And so, you know, uh, one example of that, right? No such thing in the book of Genesis as this idea of makeup. And we see in Egyptian culture that men and women wore makeup. But in our, our American 2020 culture, women wear makeup, men don't, except if you want to be like some edgy punk, you know, or, uh, and I don't mean punk like in a derogatory sense, I mean like a, a cultural sense. Um, Billy Joe Armstrong. Right. Like the, so, so culturally, there are things that evolve organically that attribute to one gender or the other, but it is not um, something that is intrinsically so. Right. Like if I was to wear uh, eyeliner today, can I, can, can we, yes, yeah, go ahead. Do you wear makeup? Yeah. This, <laughs> this whole show is about Nick justifying. I don't, but uh, sometimes for like a photo shoot or videos or something, I might. And what, you know, in, in Hollywood, any movies, everyone's wearing makeup, right? Like, so there are certain things that culturally, Father, you're struggling with this? Or? No, I'm fine. Uh, your face was like, yeah. wow. Well, no, it was, I was sort of, because I was thinking about what John Mark said again, and that always makes my face, like, yeah. scrunch up a little bit. That, that it depends on how you want to talk about manhood. So there are all of these cultural things, as you say, which are very um, fluid as time yes. and space changes. Um but then something that's much more intrinsic. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, I think when you get to those um, accidental properties, when you get to those um, culturally based things, I don't think you're going to get a real robust understanding of what it means to be a man or what it means to be a woman or what it means to be yeah. a human, because those aren't the things that define us. And there's a, such a massive danger in intermeshing what is intrinsically true about man and woman and what is culturally, mm -hmm. te you know, temporarily true about man and woman. Can I just talk about that? Yeah. On that point, one of the things that I love that you said, Pete, is how man is meant for relationship and that we have these relationships of son of, yeah, I forget the, all the things you said, but in the book of Genesis, what does God say to Adam when he sees him? He says, it's not good for the man to be alone. Mm -hmm. And he finds a suitable partner for him. And if uh, I know John Paul II talks about that, the Hebrew words that are used before Eve is created, he uses the word Adam, which is Adam. It means mankind. Mm -hmm. But then after Eve is created, he uses the word for male. And so it's almost like Adam doesn't even have manliness until he's in relationship with Interesting. Eve. And I, that's how, you, that's how yeah. it's, why it's so difficult to define manhood in the abstract, because it's always in yes. relationship. Yeah. And to yeah. your point, Father, one of the things that I've found so hard about being a man in our society, in our culture, is there's this one man, one desire, lone wolf don't talk about your feelings, like do everything by yourself. And I'm like one of the biggest extroverts mm -hmm. I know. And so when I dig into scripture and, and find that, you no, know, I'm meant for a relationship. I yeah. am a beloved son. I am a protector. I am a husband, um, you know, in some sense, a warrior like that, that helps me rise above that cultural masculinity. Yeah. That isn't real masculinity. Some might even call it toxic masculinity mm -hmm. to find true authentic masculinity that's based on the scriptures that's based on Christ. Yeah, it has to be defined in terms of its end. It's the teleology there that you're meant for relationship. You're meant for these specific relationships. And it's only in the, in, in relation to those relationships 
that your the specific biological and psychological differences and get their meaning. I mean, again, by and large, there's some Venn diagram going on here, but by and large, men are, are bigger and stronger than women. Can, can we get a definition on that? No, actually, the stronger actually what we're going to have to do is expand the drinking game. Teleology? Yeah. Purpose, purposeful. <laughs> Any word John Mark throws out there that the average Joe's not going to understand, yes. we drink. <laughs> okay. What did he say that was teleology? Teleology. teleology. I, don't, I don't know uh, what that means. Telos. It's purpose. It's end. It's uh, so like I, that, learned, I learned that by watching last man standing. standing. I don't know <laughs> what you meant. Like, did you get it? Yeah. The telos of the I don't want it, though. Joke's on you, bro. It's like the telos of the eye is to see yeah. the telos of the hand is to like grab and manipulate things yeah. and tell us the yeah and so scripture <laughs> yeah so scripture and in, in the church would say this, uh, the telos of the man is uh, all those things all those things. husband father mm-hmm. son you know and the things that go along with those different uh, well and you see i think the order here matters so pete was right nick was wrong what <laughs> so uh, nick, when you started this whole thing off that was my first thought was okay nick's got that wrong because you said first and foremost you are husbands Oh, I see what you're saying. Yeah. And I think the order matters there. Yeah, you don't know right. what it means to be a husband or a father until your first son. Yes. And so Pete says the first identity of man is son. That you came from somewhere in the relationship uh, with your parents, with the, with the people who put you here. Mm. Or in a spiritual sense with God, the father, mm. to know God as father. That's so And huge. then after son, you become brother. Mm-hmm. And then husband and then father and to really have a, a, a full understanding of each one of those um, masculine identities, that order there's overlap, but mm-hmm. that order is important. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, Cause you, you can't be a father unless you know what it means to be a son. Yeah. Man preach. I love that. I do. And so, <laughs> full time. <laughs> yeah, and I think um, what I was getting at about the danger, too, in intermeshing these, um, the, the different uh, sources of, you know, uh, developing the identity and the attributes and stuff, um, the, the danger is, like, the moment that you say to a little boy who is curious about something as silly as makeup or, like, a, a preference for one set of colors versus another set, the moment you tell him, don't be a, like a girl, don't be a girl. Or like the moment you start to say those things, you are putting in his head that he isn't as much a boy. And that is not fair because you're predisposing that person to gender confusion. It, it's totally, yes, Peter, you want to, no, you want to no, share no, your wrong opinion? No, Go ahead. No, I'll let you no, I think it's, it's, before I tear it apart. That's, <laughs> <laughs> but along the lines of what you're saying, father, it's, it's fundamentally important for Augustine to always know he's my son. And if he is interested in something that is a less than, you know, masculine color, he's always my son, no matter what. And so, yes, Peter. No, I'm not. No, no, just go, just go. Well, I'm curious to go back. I think Michael said it in the beginning, like we talked about stereotypes and we, we always reference stereotypes as if something that they're bad Mm -hmm. stereotypes, they're, they're based upon something. Right. Mm -hmm. And so we, we do have to go back to what John Mark also said about, all right, the, you know, men and women, the way that our bodies are made up, it's, it's the way that, um, we are naturally that lends itself to stereotypes. Now, it doesn't mean that every man needs to be this to be a man, mm-hmm. but it does mean there is a baseline of reality that we have to acknowledge when it comes to the natural law by which we've been made. And so men are going to be, you know, when it comes to physical ability, there's going to be a difference between what males and females can lift generally. Mm-hmm. We can't just dismiss and say, well, you're not masculine or feminine because you don't do this or that. But but we acknowledge that that those realities. So I, I was just... Over here. But I think biological oh, differences are different than a preference for color or type of music. Or, you know what I mean? Well, Culture, I, I, you're making I, a distinction between biological or even, you in, know, intrinsic. intrinsic traits that more commonly are with a specific gender versus a cultural thing. Exactly. And the moment that we confuse a child about their own gender because of different attributes that we're picking up on that have nothing to do with intrinsic things, like color, like music, like, uh, playing with dolls, like whatever that, that moment we are doing a terrible, uh, disservice and injustice to that child. Because I was just hearing a story about these parents full transition for their three-year-old child. By the time they were three full transition, because the parents decided, you know what, 
I'm, I'm, I'm noticing things that are more like this other thing. So we're going to go the distance with this. And the moment that you're basing that on these, on these external, uh, non-intrinsic things, extrinsic things, um, it, rather than the intrinsic, intrinsic, uh, things that we have already identified, like that's why you cannot intermesh these things. Like there are some things that are cultural and to pretend that they're not is dangerous. Can I, can I throw another word out there? Please. So we're better, with our drinks. So better than stereotypes, um, the, the Christian relies on archetypes. So, oh, yeah. so archetype is not a description of things that we commonly see. An archetype is an ideal mm -hmm. to which we aspire. Mm -hmm. And so John Paul II talks about how every man is called to be father. Mm -hmm. Now that doesn't mean every man has biological children. Yes. And I express, I live out my fatherhood even before I was a father. There were ways in which I was, I was pouring myself out for my students. There was a way I was pouring myself into my music for my listeners and those who appreciate art. Um, and mm -hmm. father, maybe you can speak to like, what is it? What is, what does your fatherhood look like? We even call you father. Yeah. Right. Well, and you said it precisely there that this is a relational based identity, not even a biological based identity, mm -hmm. um, because it's how you relate to these people who who call you father. Mm -hmm. um, and you're right that that, of course, it has something to do with biological children. Mm -hmm. But when you think of um, St. Joseph, mm -hmm. right, without um well maybe he had biological children maybe he didn't but jesus wasn't his biological child but he was in a very real way father to jesus um so it doesn't have to do with biology it's that relationship um and as you said everyone's called every man is called to be father every man is called to be husband um every man is brother and every man is son and it has little to do with how well you know your parents whether you have siblings um whether you have a ring on your finger and you have biological children and that's why those those external things those passing things um you brought up like makeup or different like that but i feel like it's a really complicated example for many reasons it is it's just i don't know what else to point to right, but, but, but like you guys aren't wearing makeup <laughs> <laughs> yeah but those um no, I forgot where I was going with that. Sorry, anyway, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and, and maybe that's where I was getting a little lost because I think the example itself, like I think we're, there's an overreaction now with our kids and our society. Like kids are just naturally curious about things, right? And so you're not going to mess your kid up one way or another just by saying in one moment when they're looking at makeup, like, oh, that's for girls. Like when my son, John Paul, starts putting high heels on, like, John Paul, those are GGs. Those are for yeah. girls. I'm not messing up my son for the rest of his life. And making because you responded as nicely as you did. But if you, it, but if you throw shame on him about that moment by the way that you present yourself, that's going to become something that's going to imprint differently in his psychology. If you do it as soberly as you just said it right now, it won't do that damage. Mm -hmm. um, but like for, the reason the makeup is a relevant example is because there have been cultures historically that men wore makeup and they were still manly men. And that's why it's such an obvious thing to me because men have worn makeup and they have been manly and there's nothing unmanly about that. It's just a cultural thing. Well, one of the things I think that you're tapping on here, which is connected to this topic, which is precisely that men, uh, you know, boys, there's a, there's a particular way that boys, maybe even distinct from girls, they develop their personality as men from other men, Ooh, from yeah. that affirmation, from that construct. So it, really the example you're bringing up a little bit is, is, is a slightly different topic. It's about how men relate to each other in this constructive way versus a destructive way. Hmm. You know, the, the, the criticism, which has a lot of, you know, uh, maybe implications in there about societal stuff and, you know, different images of men, different stereotypes. But the, the, the larger issue here is that the way that we as fathers or we as men relate to other men, especially younger men, in ways that are, you know, affirming them to, to, um, to, you know, to, to, to build themselves up in, in virtue and in those roles that they're called to. Yeah. And, and we, we, uh, we play an important role in all of, uh, the men, in our, the, the men in our life, in their lives, in terms of helping them to build that, that affirmation, that constructive, also that, that pushing a, a little bit, you know, challenging each other as men, you know, the, what's the scripture reference, you know, the, the iron uh, sharp, iron sharp, iron. iron. There you go. There you go. <laughs> yeah. yeah. That's beautiful. And that's actually a perfect segue to an important question as far as men relating to men and the impact that it has on us. Yeah. No one in terms of our masculinity or, or maleness has impacted us more than our own fathers. And there are other people in, in a similar type of dynamic. Um, and so I want to kind of throw this question out. What are 
failed examples of masculinity that we have observed in our own lives and how has that impacted us? And we don't have to be specific in a way that would ruin a relationship or something. But I just mean, you know, this is a very real challenge for, for men out there. Um, because with our fathers, we are, we really like, we grew up most of us with our fathers as our heroes. And the moment that we start to detect as we develop our frontal lobe and whatever is the moment we started to detect, Oh, they're not perfect. And they've been a hero to me. And I've always wanted to be like them and they're starting to make mistakes. Am I going to make those same mistakes? And like, I just think that these are, so this is an important question. Um, so yeah, what are, what are some examples of ways in which, whether for you or someone, you know, um, failed masculinity, like someone not living up to virtue, uh, and, and how that's impacted us or people we know. I can even go first. Um, so there've been several prominent men in my life who have struggled with anger and just like getting frustrated very easily and bubbling over and, and yelling. And, and, and thank goodness I, I haven't ever suffered physical abuse from, from those men. And they were, they were not physically abusive, but um, maybe borderline verbally abusive at, at some point. And I'm thinking of, you know, coaches and just, mm. I, I won't get more specific than that, but I know for me, there was a decision very young and I don't know how young I was, but in my heart was, I don't want to be like that. Yeah. And so I rarely get angry. It's very, and if I do get angry, like it doesn't come out. Um, and I think that's, that's good that I don't let my anger get the best of me and I, I don't lash out at people and that sort of thing. But it was also then a challenge for me mm -hmm. to stand up for myself yeah. and oh, especially wow. two men that were kind of very aggressive and, and, and could be very sharp and stern. Like there are, there are times as a grown man where another man has been stern with me and I have to like leave the room and I'm like crying and I like can't stop, which of course makes me feel even more like a man. <laughs> <laughs> and like, so there was, there's something yeah. where I've had to really work on like, you don't just back down mm -hmm. when somebody's like that, but you, then you don't respond with that same sort of un, un, uncalled for aggression. And so that's been a major thing of growth for me that I've had to work on is how do I stand up for myself? How do I stand up for other people? How do I, I, I stand up for what's right in a way that is productive in a way that is peaceful in a way that is like Christ and mm. using, I'll use the word archetype again. Like, mm. um, there's a book, John Eldridge wild at heart that you were talking about. And there's some things I like about the book yeah. and there's some things I don't, but the, the one key thing I remember that has helped me so much is that my model of manliness is Jesus. Yeah. And so like reading the scriptures and reading those stories of, yeah, he's standing up to the Pharisees and he's not intimidated at all. Yeah. Yet he has such compassion for the woman at the well. He has mm -hmm. such compassion for Zacchaeus hanging out in the tree. There's, um, so like that has been like my real model of, of manliness for how to do confrontation, for how not to back away, for how to, how to be a force for good, even a provocative force for good, but not be like a anger monster. Well, what so. you do is you, you fashion a rope and you start whipping people and flipping tables. <laughs> uh, I love the example, Mike, because again, anger, this, this, this ability to, you know, have your, your passion be put against an obstacle. Mm. That's something God given. Yeah. That passion is not a, a, an evil thing, a bad thing. Mm -hmm. It's only evil and bad when it, it, um, it, it lacks order. Mm. It lacks its telos. It lacks, a, you know, its purpose. It's put mm -hmm. toward its proper thing. And so the, the, the man who has no control over that, and it just comes out at stupid times. Yeah. Mm -hmm. It's put to no good use, but uh, in its, when it's ordered, when it's tempered, is able to be productive. I mean, I, for me, I think an example is that connects to that is, you know, you or someone brought up earlier, you know, the, the stereotypes around men and women in terms of emotionality and vulnerability, mm. you know, and there's, as you said, Pete, there's some truth to that. You know, I, I think biologically we, we could even say that there's, like we, we know as men, there's a, there's probably some reason, some, some purpose to us kind of being able to like turn that off when it's time to go bring down a wildebeest because I got to feed the family. <laughs> like put that in the box. I got to do this right now. And that, that there's probably a purpose to the reason that men have, have that sort of stereotype. There's probably some truth to it, mm -hmm. but of course the negative end of it, the untempered, the unordered end of it is men who then live their whole lives mm -hmm. in that stoic, you know, invulnerable disconnectedness. Yeah. And we see that a lot in other examples of men. And if that's all you've ever seen, it's hard to get out of that because that's not actually what you're made for either. That's to come down so that you can go into relationship, not just with your spouse and other people, but your God, mm -hmm. you know, he wants to be in really in relation with you. He doesn't want to hear the pious, just stuff you repeat over and over. He wants to hear your heart. Mm. 
And so that, that's another example, too, where that it's something that's given to us for a reason, but it, too, has to be ordered and tempered. Well, and then that example is so interesting, too, because some amount of that uh, we've developed potentially, like you were insinuating, like out of a need uh, for survival and, and out of a need for the, you know, what we needed for hunting and stuff. But then some of that, too, is culturally like. You know, I was scolded as a child when I expressed emotion as a boy, you know, like uh, not me. I'm saying like in, in a hypothetical, there are men who have been indoctrinated with this idea that you cannot express emotion. Right. I choose to not express or even feel emotion as a self-preservation technique because of my parents' <laughs> divorce and stuff like that. That's a different thing. You but choose, you choose not to feel emotion. Oh, I like will not. Like the show This Is Us, Rob has been trying to get me to watch This Is Us for years. Right, and every single time anybody recommends This Is Us, they say, oh, I cry every single time. And then I'm like, well, then why the hell are you watching it? <laughs> By the way, Jack Pearson, great example of good manliness. Yeah. Yeah, yeah you should totally watch that show. Man. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, I opened up. I want to hear other people's examples of. <laughs> yeah. You got real with us. You got real. This is actually for you. This <laughs> <laughs> is an intervention. <laughs> Well, I certainly think of um, the the examples of priests in my life. And a lot of people ask me when I was, because they are also fathers whom, if you grow up in the church, you know as father from as early as you can remember. Um, and people would ask me all the time when I was thinking about becoming a priest, they say, well, what priest inspired you to do this? And I would always say... None that I know. Yeah. And I mean, that sounds terrible about the priests that I knew growing up, but it's, it, I also saw them as flawed people from the beginning as well. And it wasn't that I was trying to model my life after any one of them. Um, but I was trying to model my life after Jesus Christ, right? It was God, the father who was calling me, not any particular priest of my, um, formative years. Um, and I think that's a super important thing. Cause when we talk about, um, men who have disappointed us, I could list off the priests who have disappointed their spiritual children, um, over the years. And that's super relevant right now in our diocese, super relevant. Um, and the, the shame that comes from knowing that, um, someone else who, who is called father, who wears the same collar that I do, um, fell so far and so hard from their vocation, um, from their call to fatherhood. Um, it has, that has sort of been, um, sort of like you said, that has sort of been my motivation to be a good father or a good priest. When I entered the seminary, it was 2005. Uh, and I remember the local newspaper asked me like amidst, this is amidst all of the first round of this whole, oh my goodness. uh, sexual abuse crisis. And they say, well, why are you becoming a priest with all of this going on? Uh, cause there are so many examples that are so prominent right now of terrible priests. Um, and I remember saying to that reporter, I don't remember what I had for lunch last week, but I remember in 2005, I said to this reporter, um, well, they're not why I'm becoming a priest. In fact, I am more motivated now to show people that that's not what priesthood is about. Well, it's beautiful. Um, sort of like you said, you know, I was determined when, when I was a father that I was not going to be an angry, I was not going to be an angry man. Mm -hmm. It's almost more motivation to seek virtue when you see how terrible mm -hmm. vice is. But I think that's the crisis we're facing as a culture and a nation today is that we don't have our priests and fathers living up to the call that we've been given by God, mm. recognizing we're all going to fall, of course, but we live in such a, a country of absentee fatherhood. I mean, in some communities, it's as high as 75% where the dad's not even in the mm -hmm. home. And that's, that's really dangerous. Yeah. And it's really dangerous in the context of what we went through, especially with the sexual revolution as well. Because when you brought up this question for me, it was like, my own father and my brothers and the, the guys that I around with in, in the locker room and stuff. I mean, I still struggle today with like chastity and purity of heart. Mm -hmm. And that, if I could trace it back, you know, it comes back to my own sin first and foremost. But it's also like, and my dad, I look up to him more than any man I have in my life. And he's a great man. And uh, now I, I praise with Jesus in heaven. But like going to a baseball game with him. Um, and him mentioning, you know, something kind of crude about a woman that he saw and attracted him. Like, 
Dad, I'm 12. You're not, your mom's not going to watch this, is she? Well, mom, don't watch. <laughs> I mean, my mom had her own struggles with you know similar things with my dad, so it's it's nothing new. But like that's certainly affected me to this day. Yeah. That I need to go back and like work on to make sure that I'm living the way that I'm supposed to. Because mm-hmm. he was the man that I looked up to in every way, shape, or form. So if the men, men we're looking up to, um, you know, aren't living as they're supposed to be living, that's going to impact us. But I yeah. think, and I hope that we can come to a place as a church where we are looking to our priests and we are saying, gosh, I really want to be like that. And for my kids, I want them to look up to me and say, man, I really want to be like dad someday. Yeah. Like that's what it's supposed, that's the ideal that we're shooting for at the end of the day. Mm-hmm. And I found in myself to that end with, with any man that I have been disappointed by as an example, I find myself uh, not even like on purpose. I, I've like stopped putting people on pedestals and I just expect that, you know what, even though I respect attributes of that person or parts of who they are, I'm pretty sure they probably suck just as much as I do. And most other guys like, you know, and I actually got into a little bit of a debate with someone recently with this idea that like, why are we expecting our politicians to be some kind of virtuous heroes? Like they, you know, we're not, we're not, uh, we're not asking holy priests to become the president. We're asking uh, politicians by and large until recently when we asked a businessman, but we're asking politicians to be, you know, these uh, decision makers for us. And uh, you know, we've talked before some of the exposure that we've had to the political world that most people don't get that we observe uh, a lack of virtue that is very exposing to like, we should probably have some different standards for our leaders. You know, we want people to represent us. I don't disagree with, it would be great in an ideal for us to have virtuous leaders and for us to strive for that. But we don't really have those options right now. And that's, that's so hard. Like everyone there's a, okay. I'm, I'm imposing my stuff on this. I, I understand that this is not an objective reality, but yeah. As long as you realize yeah. that. Yeah. Philosopher yeah, King, right? Philosopher King, <laughs> But that's why we look to the saints. And that's yes. why we like, mm. we desire to live saintly lives because they, they lived those virtues and they, they fought through and they, they didn't mm-hmm. give up. You know, the, the, the term Israel, we call ourselves the people of Israel. That literally means to struggle with or to wrestle with God. Mm. You know, mm-hmm. Israel. And so, like, we recognize that we're not going to be perfect. We're going to struggle in this journey. But there are people who have done it, who, who have fought the good fight, who have finished the race, and they're the saints of the church. Yeah. And I think sometimes when we lower the bar and we say, well, you know, he's a politician, he's not going to be that. Like, no, like, I'm going to hold my politicians to that bar mm. because if I set the bar low, then I'm going to get what is low. But if we set yeah. the bar high for men, then we, then we push them to succeed. And we do that in athletics. We do that in every other category of life. But we don't do it when it comes to like do we? being a saint. Yes, yeah. Every you strive for excellence. You don't necessarily strive for virtue. Oh, okay. Like, I was like, push, what virtuous push, athletes do we have? Like, you push yeah. excellence. Yeah. Well, but that should be the goal. Is right. that like I do want virtuous politicians and virtuous athletes and virtuous businessmen. That holiness and virtue is not the the camp of monks and priests. Um, I yeah, mean, that's right. that's sort of something we keep going back mm-hmm. to in the church that we'll let these people be holy. And we can just be normal that that holiness is the vocation of everybody um, is important. I think it's just important that we have a realistic view and don't and and that we understand that no one person is the perfect embodiment of virtue, save for Jesus Christ. Yes. And so because my follow up to my comment before would be. Now that I know, a t- I mean, I know a ton of priests now, and there are a ton of priests that I look up to who are good and holy and faithful men. Right. Um, and so it's not that that's lacking in my life um, or in anyone's lives. Um, there are plenty of absentee fathers and and fathers who are uh, abusive and, and, and terrible, but there are also plenty of other fathers and father figures um, who, are, who are wonderful men. So I think it's just about having a realistic view that um, that no one but God is perfect, that everyone who we um, call a man um, is sort of uh, um, we fall short. Yeah, we're not we're not the man. Yeah. yeah. 
there's a difference between being a man and the man. And I think that's the heart of what like is kind of behind my wrestling with words to describe how I feel. But, you know, I think my other concern with the politicians is like it's so easy to then exploit the fact that we Christians get so excited by the notion of having a real Christian politician represent us. And, you know, we've had we've had a majority. We've had uh, Christian and Catholic politicians leading, um, you know, the uh, the country and abortion is still legal, right? Like, I feel like we're getting exploited through our desire to have a virtuous politician. And then in the same exact way, Biden is suddenly a good and faithful Catholic. Like what? And all, all they're doing is capitalizing on the fact that we want that. Can I read uh, Pope Benedict's quote? Please. So holiness does not consist in never having erred or sinned. Holiness increases the capacity for conversion, mm. for repentance, for willingness to start again, and especially for reconciliation and forgiveness. Mm-hmm. So I think there's a misconception that holiness is perfection, mm-hmm. but holiness is like that, that perseverance, that willing for reconciliation to start again. And we see that even amongst the saints. Like sometimes people, they want to talk about the saints that that person can't be a saint because the way they, they treated this group right. of people and that group mm-hmm. of people, is like, mm-hmm. they were, they were trying, they really were trying to, to, you know, to, to be holy. And they, when they fall down, they got back up. And so I, that's very encouraging for me in my, in my own walk. But I think that's relevant to what we're saying as Absolutely. well. Yeah. We don't, Holiness we, is not about yeah. perfection. It's about yeah. the pursuit of perfection. Mm, right. So we have yeah. to have that striving for excellence and hold people to like, that's mm-hmm. the standard we're going for. Yeah. You can't pursue but perfection in the pursuit. Unless you recognize that you're on brokenness. Mm. There's a humility there that you have to face up to. You can't be a hypocrite. You have to I too, me too. I'm a, I'm a sin. I'm a sinner. Heresy. Heresy. We don't we don't like <laughs> ideals. I mean, I think our culture rejects ideals because, by their very nature, an ideal judges us. Mm-hmm. If I if I acknowledge a standard of excellence in any arena, that I'm judged by that standard. And so, even to get started on the path of self improvement, of trying to be holy or trying to be a good athlete or whatever, I have to acknowledge, oh, they're there. I'm here. And that's all the more so when we talk about God and his holiness, which we're called to. It starts by accepting our brokenness. We can only build on that foundation. And without meaning to it, we've hit the perfect description of uh, who Jesus is, the man, Um, because he describes himself as meek and humble. Mm. And earlier, without using the word meek, you were describing the need for men to be meek. So meekness is strength under control. Yes. Mm. Yes. Meekness is strength with discipline. Um, And no one thinks of meekness that way. That is a line. Give us that. Give give that to us one more time. Meekness is strength under control Mm. or strength with discipline. Mm -hmm. Um, And for some reason, whenever we hear the word meek, we think weak. And the linguist in me wants to know if it's just because they sound similar or I don't, I don't know how it came to be associated with weakness. Mm -hmm. Um, but to be meek is to be strong, but under control. It was a word that was used originally to describe horses. Yeah, so well, if you had a yeah. horse that was strong and that, that could uh, pull a burden well with other horses, mm-hmm. so they were disciplined and strong, you would call that horse meek. That's fantastic. Right? And so Jesus says, I am meek. I am strong and disciplined and humble. And I know in humility is about the truth about myself. So it's not thinking too much of myself. It's not thinking too little of myself. It's being aware of exactly who I am. Wow. So if we want to be men like Jesus, we must be meek and humble. Mm-hmm. So so that is a perfect segue to the final question I want to bring. And I want Rob to give us the first answer. Oh, gosh. <laughs> I was so, doing a good job staying out of it. <laughs> This this is a softball. Oh yes. <laughs> so if you mess it up, you must really suck. <laughs> oh, yes. no you got this, Rob. No worries. I have no idea what he's gonna say. You're just starting us off. It's not. <laughs> this isn't the end all be all. You can change the question now. No one's gonna say anything after whatever you say. We'll just all agree. <laughs> Shake your hands. We got this. Yeah. yeah. The question is. So we were just covering examples of uh, failed examples of masculinity and, and kind of adjusting our expectations or whatever. Um, now, for us personally, for each of us, how can we become meek? How can we become good examples, healthy examples of true manhood, of mans- masculinity? You know, it's a good question. I think... Um I was trying to think for a long time of all the all the bad examples, and I had a really difficult time because I have people in my life who are just you know crappy, 
you know, they're scrappy. You know, it happens. Mm-hmm. Uh, we all go through difficulties, but it's hard for them to like really make an impact on me. Maybe I wasn't particularly close to any of them. Um, but you know, I go back to the beginning, my own father and you know, I guess he portrays himself. He's not a perfect person. It's very obvious, but you know, I look up to him so much. He was such a good father. Uh, and for me, having not achieved this, uh, you know, what do you say? You know, height of manhood of being who you're supposed to be. I'm still working on it, but, um, well, that's the holiness. I mean, the holiness thing, right. But I just think it's really important to have good examples to look, you know, look to those ideals, um, and to recognize where they're not ideal, you know, to see, to have realistic expectations. Mm-hmm. Um, we have saints before us. We have good people to look up to. And, uh, you know, I think that's, you know, cer- certainly we have our perfect example of Christ. Mm. So. What, what I'm hearing you say is like, don't settle, right? Like it's so easy to fall into this, this trap of, um, I am, yes, it is what you're saying. What I'm hearing you Never say, settle on anything. It'll make sense. Yeah. What, okay. what, I'm, what I'm hearing you say is like, it's easy to fall into the trap of I've arrived. Like, this is who I am. There's nowhere else to grow. There's nowhere else to, you know, and even for a lot of Christians, and this is a big problem. It's like, well, I can't really improve at this point. I'm, you know, 45 years old. I'm 50 years old. And this is who I am. Like the journey towards the heart of Christ and the journey of striving for perfection, the journey of holiness and sanctification, like we're not done till we're in the grave. Right. Um, and, and so I'm hearing you say, like, look to the saints as examples and, and we you know, strive to be the best person you can be in any given moment. Um, and it doesn't mean you're going to do it perfectly. It's that you're trying to, um, and, and using those examples that we can trust, like you were talking about the saints, like for the love of God, don't try to be like president Trump be, try to be like a saint, right? Barack Obama. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> but, but that's what I'm hearing you say is like, we, we should never be so comfortable with who we are that we're, we're good. Like I'm, I'm just, I'm as, this is the best version of Nick you're ever going to get. You can certainly extrapolate that from one. <laughs> I will say that. And I have, yeah. and I have. Can I speak to something else? Please, yeah. You talked about the importance of like other men. Yeah, yeah. And I feel like that is so important because as hard as it is to define manliness, mm-hmm. you know it when you see it, mm-hmm. when you see someone mm-hmm. who's being authentically manly, uh, you know it when you see it, but yet it's important not to mistake that man for the man, Jesus, it's important to still have the ideal without making your model an idol. Wow. Does that make sense? Yes. So you want to follow an ideal, not an idol. If you think of what an idol is, it's a statue that somebody mis- people mistake for a real God. And so if I look up to Nick as an ideal of manliness, that would be the exception yeah. because I really am <laughs> weak and <laughs> humble, right? <laughs> so that's good because you're a, you're a model. But if I make you an idol, right? Then when you shatter because you're not the ideal, then my manliness is Amen. shattered. Then my, my, my Amen. ideals yeah. are shattered. It's like the difference between having an older brother and then a companion somewhere along the way, mm-hmm. rather than like, you know, here's your, mm-hmm. yeah. I was going to say Nick will shatter quite easily, but wow! <laughs> Why did I invite you? <laughs> Somebody needed the lead prayer. Yeah, <laughs> and it wasn't going to be the priest. <laughs> I go back to you know if we think of man in relationship. So who do we need to be in relationship with? And that's that's our father. So if we want to be the men we've been called to be, hmm. it starts with relationship. It starts with prayer meeting God in those moments of conversation, of relationship. And then in discipleship, we follow him and we follow the church that he established. So we encounter him in the sacraments, we serve the poor, we care for others. And then as priest and warrior, we go out and we sanctify the world. Amen. That's that's our model. Amen. I love that. And um, I want to add like Tenny, you were, you were talking about like, you just know it when you see it, Mm -hmm. you know, um, that I have a very practical example of that in Pete. Um, <laughs> <laughs> what a man, what a man. <laughs> You're all here because I see that in you. But um, Pete, I knew for a very short amount of time. We met in, in the course of, uh, I think it was the spring of some year. Like, uh, Well, not, not some year. It was the spring of 2012, the year I got married. And um, I knew him for a very short amount of time. And I instantly knew this is a man I want to strive to be like 
This is a man I want to learn from. This is a man that has so much to teach me. And we, um, I was not a student, uh, like, so we met at St. Thomas More University Parish, where you are now a pastor. And, um, and I, you, you were the incoming campus minister, and I was the exiting uh, music director or something like that. And um, we knew each other for such a short time. And I was like, babe, uh, to my wife. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, no. Leave, edit that part out. Super awkward. Edit that part out. To my then, I said to my then fiance, I said, I want him to be in our wedding party. Like, this is a man I'm going to journey with, mm-hmm. you know, all these years later, we're each other's accountability partner. We, we talk to each other about the realest things. And, um, I, I knew then like, there's something about this guy that I want to be, you know, um, in a fraternal sense, I want to be intimate with him. And, um, and I think that that's what you're talking about, Tenny, is like when you see something, uh, when you see a person that you want to strive to be like, it really hits you. Yeah. And uh, every man in this room is someone like that for me. It's someone that I know I have something to learn from, right? Uh, it's someone that has the ability to tell me, Nick, you're wrong. Like, you know, Father, earlier, you were like, you know. Happy to tell you. (laughs) But not everybody's willing to do that. And that is a surprisingly and and very sadly missing ingredient in today's relationships, by and large, um, is the ability to tell someone, I think that you're messing up here, right? One of the, the, one of my closest friends that is not in this room right now, um, I was in a very unhealthy relationship. And he said, Nick, um, I'm going to be completely honest with you. It's either that relationship or our relationship, you, I, I cannot sit by and watch you do this to yourself. And it's, it's the willingness to push each other to sainthood. It's the, it's the willingness to push each other to heaven and help each other, lift each other up. Um, so guys, this has been freaking great. I really, this is exactly what I was hoping it would be. You've all been amazing. Any closing remarks? I just want to say thanks, babe. <laughs> <laughs> Alrighty then. <laughs> That'll do it. Call it. All right. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, thank you for tuning in to the men's show here at Awakened Catholic. Uh, Teddy, you want to wrap us up with a little uh, little sum sum about the Awakened Nation and yeah. hello? So you can support what we're doing here on all the shows at Awakened Catholic. You have several hosts of different shows uh, here, and you can go to awakencatholic.org and make a one-time or recurring donation and become part of the Awakened Nation. You can also support us and your own spiritual life and prayer life by downloading the Hallow app through our site, and that will get you one month of premium free. It's a great app. I know lots of people that use it, and it's, it's making a big difference. So awakencatholic.org, hook yourself up, hook us up. All right. Well, I hope you've enjoyed this uh, this session, this episode of the the men's show here at Awaken Catholic. Join us next time. Uh, there we go. See you next time. This show and all media on Awaken Catholic is made possible by the Awaken Nation and the Hollow App. The Awaken Nation is a community of people like you who support all things Awaken for as cheap as a cup of coffee a week and get access to exclusive content. Learn more by visiting awakencatholic.org/donate. Hollow is the only audio-guided Catholic prayer app focused on contemplative prayer and traditional Catholic meditation such as Lexio Divina, Daily Examine, and the Rosary. We here at Awaken all use Hollow every day and love it. To learn more or give it a try, visit hollow.app slash awaken.